Welcome to Secret Lives of Chiropractors, where we get personal with chiropractic leaders, mentors, and influential entrepreneurs. And when I say personal, I mean really personal, so personal that the things that they will open up in here, they haven't shared anywhere else. And I had Dr. Angus Pike in here today, who is a successful chiropractor in Australia. And he loves helping chiropractors market their services in the digital world. I can tell you that this conversation today is deep. I mean, get ready. Angus gets emotional talking about one particular event that happened in his life. And he goes through how it really shaped his future and how he thinks about things. And most importantly, though, it was really cool how... um, Uh, This story or this particular event, it came full circle in uh, healing his heart or in, I don't know, in in his journey of, of healing. This is probably the deepest, most vulnerable conversation that I have had thus far with the guests at Secret Lives of Chiropractors. So I know you're going to enjoy it and um, value it as much as I did. I know that this is not about me, but I can tell you that I valued this conversation because of what I am recently going through. And um, I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's just say that I love Angus and He is a heart-centered human, and you're going to learn from him today. And this episode really reminded me of the importance in the gifts that we get from the deepest, loneliest parts of our struggles, but even more so the importance of sharing them, Uh, not just sharing the gifts, but also sharing the struggles, the stories of those. And having a community to share those gifts with, your circle of influence that keep you going and keep you going towards the vision that you have for your life. And if this is important to you, definitely check out Elevate Club. We have a community of entrepreneurs and chiropractors who share their wisdom and um, they live a growth-centered lifestyle. So if this is important to you, check out Elevate Club. And I'm sure the link is in here somewhere, but it is www.elevate.me. And that is E-L-I-V-A-T-E dot me. As always, enjoy this episode with Angus and be sure to subscribe, share, comment, review, all the things. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Secret Lives of Chiropractors. I am super excited today because I've got Dr. Angus Pike, who is a passionate chiropractor and host of the Marketing Your Practice podcast, which I have to say, I was a guest on his podcast, and I follow and listen to his podcast, follow him on Instagram and all the things. And I um, tell you, there are some major gems in there that you can pick up in how to market your practice. As a matter of fact, I just talked to somebody, I didn't tell you this before the show, but just talked to somebody who had heard of me through your podcast and was singing your praises about how much you know, we were just, in case your ears were buzzing, how much you know about marketing a chiropractic clinic. He is, Angus is also the creator of Video Influence for Chiropractors, a revolutionary new heart-centered digital and social media marketing system that's helping to fill chiropractic practices around the globe. 
His passion, purpose, and mission is helping chiropractors grow their practices, um, have impact, and of course, income with social media. So super excited to have you on here. Um, You're one of my favorite chiropractors, favorite podcasters. So thank you for giving me your time. No, no, it's a pleasure. I have been very excited. I've I've enjoyed our first two conversations immensely and um, have been looking forward to round three. If um, somewhat intrigued about, um, because normally I get on these sort of podcasts and I can talk about marketing and chiropractic until the cows come home. Um, But I think we might dive into some other stuff today too. So um, I'm excited and somewhat nervous about that too. (laughs) It's going to be great. Um, Look, it's going to be super easy. You know who you are. So the very first question I want to know is, well, you've created this massive influence inside of chiropractic with regards to um, creating, like educating chiropractors about how to market themselves, uh, what their, um, what it looks like to be on social media, to have video influence, to have digital influence in general. You've done all of that in chiropractic and you've done so much more in chiropractic. You're an entrepreneur, you've got chiropractic businesses, you treat people, I mean, you've done it all. So I'm curious to know what your childhood was like and what were the dynamics, like who were, who was Angus as a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, and what were some of the things that really shaped who you are today? How did you become this Mm. great? Yeah, I often wonder, am I trying to fill a void from childhood I had a really lovely childhood not without its challenges but on the global scheme like my folks separated when I was about five or six I lived with my mum for a chunk of time um, and then ended up kind of transitioning over to living with my dad that was a very difficult time Um, I, I see now as a parent um, to have a child say, I want to go and live with the other one mm. would be heartbreaking. Um, and so there were some periods in around there that were difficult, but I, I'm lucky I've got three parents that really love me. So uh, I so I, I think in terms of what is, am I driving to kind of fill some kind of what, I don't know that I am yet. Mm-hmm. My, my earliest memory that I have is my dad's a school teacher and we were up at the local high school and um, I figure I'm like two years old and I'm sitting out on one of those old sort of desks that kind of have the lift up bits and stuff on them. It's outside and there's water dripping down underneath it. And I'm looking at the water and I followed the water up and I was able to just work out where the water was coming from. And then it was running from the top all the way down the bottom, which is not that big a deal. But when you're two years old and you work something out, there was a sense that I got from there. This is really silly that just a sense of confidence that I could work things out Mm. Um, and that had stayed with me um, throughout life. This idea that I can work it out, just hang in there, buddy. We can, we can work this out. We can get through this. I think one of the things, interesting, one of the things when I can remember being in the front room of my house when my folks separated, and it wasn't like there was a big row or fight or anything like that, but there was a tension that I knew something was happening. And so at that stage, I'm five, and I remember having a conversation with myself at that stage saying, all right, buddy, it's time to put your big boy pants on 
And we've got to really learn to look after ourselves, which I think is also an interesting thing for a five-year-old to be thinking at that stage. And so I think one of the things I got out of that, Nona, was a real sense of Um, Mm self-responsibility. And that served me very well also. So um, I didn't, when I first got into chiropractic, I wasn't, I I didn't know of chiropractic. I'd, I'd seen a chiropractor a few times for, you know, second-rate musculoskeletal care. God bless Daryl. But it was nothing inspiring at -hmm. all. Um, And it wasn't until he had a locum come and he opened my eyes a little bit to it. But I had, in in first year of uh, university here, I I fell in love for the first time. Beautiful Mm -hmm. Sally Milne. And um, she broke my heart. It came the first summer where I was looking forward to having the whole summer together. You know, you kind of first love, all that kind of stuff. And we it it kind of it was a mutual thing but we kind of went this is not really going anywhere um and i found myself in the library and i uh, i found a green book um the subluxation specific the adjustment specific wow and i'm yeah i know what a book to pull out had no idea what they were at all and what i knew of chiropractic philosophy was actually chiropractic history so i i had understanding of the history but not the philosophy we often mix those up and that's where i was like oh holy cow like this is beautiful. This is just, yeah. So that lit me up there. So any challenges I've had throughout my life have been birthed with equal amounts of gift. Mm-hmm. So, which is kind of really hard for me to look back and go that I I, I have a wound alone because I, I can't find a wound that wasn't also balanced with um, totally. equal amount of beauty. Yeah. It sounds like you were an old soul. Would you say that? Like when you were a child? Because what two-year-old has that kind of wisdom? What five-year-old has that? I have a six-and-a-half-year-old, and I don't yeah. know that, you know, I don't know that that's how his brain works. I would say, would you say you were an old soul? Do you know what? In some ways, I, I've not thought of it like that, but they're very interesting things for a five. Like that conversation in particular, the one that I had with myself as a five-year-old, is very I'm very fascinated by it because I don't know, and maybe I've embellished it as I've got older. Mm. I don't think I've got the sense without maybe knowing the words, I got the sense of what the self-responsibility I took at that stage there too. So in some ways, yes. But the other thing too, I was talking with a good friend of mine the other day about this stuff. I I really still feel like a 14 year old boy. Like I, like I laugh at at times. I'm like, oof. I'm not quite sure I'm grown up enough to be doing all of this. So, um, so I don't really feel like an old soul. I feel a lot like an immature um, 14-year-old boy a lot of the time there but too. But clearly so. a, a wise one, clearly one with wisdom at two years old, at five years old. Yeah, now, uh, uh-huh. Maybe at times. At times, yeah. Were you the, uh, were you, um, did you have siblings? I don't think you mentioned that. Yeah, I've got two beautiful big sisters. Okay. Um, and one younger one. So okay. surrounded by women. All right. Really cool. And so speaking of um, being 14 at heart and, and, you know, still wanting to have fun, I'm curious if you have, if there are any funny stories that your family tells about you, where there's like funny things about your childhood or something funny that has happened that you were involved in? Um, yeah, look, I, I was one of those, I, I had, um, you know, I didn't get up to a lot of mischief growing up, but whenever I did, I always got caught, um, and, and and always got caught by the police. So by the police, not by your parents. By the no, police. no, no. Like you know, from 
you know, silly little things of um, here in Australia, firecrackers are illegal, um, except in one state. And then we're away one summer. A friend of mine had come from the state where the firecrackers were. And so he gave me a bunch of firecrackers, um, So, which is cool, man. It's like, you know, so at this stage I'm 15. And I went around to a, another friends of mine. I'd, I'd held on to them for quite some time. But, you know, it's a beautiful summer night. I'm going to head around to James's house, let these firecrackers off. And so we head around to his house and I didn't know what they were like, you know, whether it was going to be just like a sparkler or, but these firecrackers known were super impressive. Like, you know, we were really ripping it up in the backyard and having a great time. And it was one of those, you know, when firecrackers go off, there's the sound and then like there's the woo of everybody when they're watching outside. So it must have been a whole bunch of people kind of in their backyards. And so we had the whole neighborhood loving it, which was great and didn't think twice about it. But my friend's house is also not all that far from the local police station as well. So they could see the fireworks. So, and 10 minutes after fireworks finishing, we're inside and um, we hear this kind of knock at the front door, like, oh, that's strange, a knock at the front door, you know, and it's a couple of policemen there saying, oh, we've seen some fireworks going off there too. Do you guys know anything about it? We're like, no, no, I don't know anything about it. And that's funny. We found these in your backyard. Of course, they had all the firecrackers there too. So harmless stuff, but I just would often get caught for stuff like that. Like, you know, my folks would often say that they were on first name basis with the police in town. And I did get caught lots of time, but nothing that's, you know, I wasn't stealing stuff. I wasn't, yeah. you know, I just would get, yeah, I would just get caught. Yeah. yeah. God. So, um, you know, so no, if from that point of view, in terms of, you know, that's an ongoing kind of family joke there too. Um, I was terrible at doing things. You know, I, I, I had a couple of parties at home, got caught. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I was probably not all that good at planning stuff I around think. Yeah. Hiding and planning, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, mm. so um, that's 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 interesting, and I love what you said um, previously to this. I it was still kind of mulling over it in my head about how um, every wound comes with a lesson or a gift, right? Mm. I'm curious, what has been the darkest, loneliest, most struggling time in your life, and what did you? What was that like? And what did you learn from it? What was the gift in it? Um, it? It was definitely the time after I left my mum. Mm. God bless her. Beautiful woman, Brenda. Um, so I'm, I'm very close to my dad. And my mum and dad lived in the same town for a long time. And then mum decided that she needed to get to a new place. And that worked really well for my older sisters. They were ready to get out of a smaller country town too. But Although at that stage I lived mostly with mum and would do kind of weekends or every second weekend with my dad, I was around him a lot. <clears throat> I'd go to football and sport with him and he was, you know, he was just a really lovely, strong male role model. And being in around women all the time, I, I really I yearned for that. So when we left and drove a couple of hours away, <clears throat> it got harder and harder for me to see dad. And then after lots of toing and froing back and forwards, dad said, well, do you want to come and live with me? It's like, yep, yep. When I finally left mum and I walked out the door, I can remember she was sitting on the on the couch mm. and I can remember giving her a kiss and she said to me, if you leave, I never want to see you again. Oh, God. Motherfucker. Like. That hurts. Fucking hell. Yeah, it was just, you know, it was a dumb thing for a parent to say. 
Yeah. Just dumb. But it's also a reflection of the coping mechanisms that she had. It's a reflection of who she was. And mum and I are really close now. Um, you know, we talk every week and, you know, we have these lovely long conversations and stuff like that too. But that was that was really difficult to take that on board as an 11-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me... Um, 15 years to really work through that. Um, and it was a lot of uh, John Martini's work that helped me see what that bought for me. Yeah. It helped, you know, uh, part of my philosophy of life is I, I choose to tell myself the story that in every situation there's something that I can get from it. Um, and John helped me formulate a lot of that That from there and so you know that brought a lot of um independence and strength as as well in me it it does mean part of my desire to really love to serve the chiropractic profession and to serve people in general was me wanting to prove a sense of worthiness um it, it comes from a slightly different point now but in the early days of me building my practice and stuff like that too it was very much from that i, I needed to feel that Mm-hmm. Um, what, what came from there too. And so that was a pretty interesting time um, in there as well. I also, you know, I, I'm in my second marriage now um, and there was some interesting times, you know, in the second half of my first marriage too, trying to work stuff out, um, trying to be responsible for somebody else's happiness. Um, you know, as chiropractors we get, it's very interesting because I, I felt like I was very good at what I did. And so I would go to work every day and help people and people would often sing my praises there too. And I would come home and the woman who at that time was the most important to me, I couldn't, um, it was very heavy mm. to come home to that each and every day. Um, and again, another beautiful person, the mother of my first two kids mm. um, and to, you know, to realise because there was a fantasy that I had with that relationship and I, you know, I missed the, the fantasy. And when there's a promise that you say to somebody, yeah. I really meant that promise, you know, till death do us part. Um, and integrity is such a big thing for me too. And so then to go back on that and am I recreating the same stuff with my kids and all that kind of stuff there too. So those two periods, the first one with mum and after after that, the two, and then the second one, kind of working through a divorce, was okay. yeah, it was pretty wild too. Yeah, it's it's heavy. Divorce is heavy. I just went through it myself, and I've got two little kids. So hearing you say um, you were eleven, and your mom said you said I wanted to go live with your dad, and your mom said if you leave, you know, basically yeah. don't don't come back. And so like, I, there's a part of me as a mom of like recently divorced where I'm like, man, I feel her pain. It's, those are not the words that what I would use, No, no. but I feel her pain so much. So I'm curious what you would say to your, say your kid's 11. And yeah, Yeah. if you, if your kid had to relive. Yeah. Well, I I can tell you, I can tell you what I did say. So it's funny how these things come out. And so Mackenzie, my eldest, um, at the time that Linda and I separated, 
and divorced. She was about 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And um, she, the kids would live a week with me and a week with their mum. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years, I started dating Lauren, who's now my wife. Mm-hmm. I like to keep with the L's. It makes it really easy just with my wife's names there too. So I've got a theme going on. So, um, and as some teenagers can go through, she was, there were lots of difficult things as she was growing and evolving as a, into an adult and things were difficult for her. And she was looking for someone to blame for the difficulties in her life. And it made really sense, a lot of sense to blame dad and his new partner. And we, we've always had what I refer like strong family values. We have dinner together at the table. We don't have our phones on when we do that. Um, you know, and we sit there until everybody's finished and then you can, and Mackenzie found that really hard to do. She wanted to be up in a bedroom talking to her friends. She wanted to take a, and she would often be super rude to Lauren. And um, I know it's difficult for everybody, but Lauren is an angel. She's the sweetest person. And so there came a time, by the time Mackenzie got to 14, that she said to me, Dad, I, I don't want to come here anymore. I'm like, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> like, Okay. So uh, beyond heartbreaking, yeah, uh, beyond, but I knew I couldn't go where my mum went. I went, I get it, babe. And so I thought, okay, I said, whatever you need, sweetie, I'm here for you. And I need you to know there's always a bedroom here for you. Can we get together and have dinner once a week? She then tells me as a 13, 14 year old, I'm very busy. I don't know that I'll be able to fit that in. I'm like, oh, kid, you're really pushing me here. <laughs> so she really withdrew for me, from me for a long time there. Um, at 15, she ended up having a year away over in Belgium. So she went away on exchange and it was perfect for her. And I can remember in there too, when she left to go back and live. So, um, uh, Edison, my second, there's 22 months difference. And I remember explaining to him what was going on. And I said to him, do you want to stay with dad too? And, um, you know, he said, yeah, yeah. You know, it was, it's, it's just, <clears throat> it was, I was like, fuck, if I could, if both of them go, mm. it'll be very difficult. But it was, it, it, talk about, so Mackenzie is coming back from, Belgium and Lauren and I moving into another house and we're like all right how many bedrooms do we need and there's part of me that wanted to be childish and go I don't need another bedroom she's not going to come and see us and all this kind of stuff I went in that situation with mum and I mum behaved like the child and I was the child in the situation not her and I went, I can't do this. <clears throat> and so I remember ringing and speaking with Mackenzie. And her and I actually, while she was away, were able to keep in pretty good contact mm-hmm. back and forwards there too. And I remember saying to her then, so sweetie, we're moving house and I just need you to know that there's a bedroom there for you and that when you come back, whatever works for you, if it's occasionally, if it's whatever, um, you know, uh, there's a bedroom there for you. And she said to me at that stage, I can, in fact, I was in Palm Beach at that stage over in the States having this conversation with her. And she said, Dad, when I come back, I want to live with you. Oh, my God. Uh, <clears throat> no, no, it's was anyway. So she then lived with Lauren and I until she was nearly 22. She's back over wow. in London at the moment. But we were, <clears throat> were able to hold a space without, um, 
we kept our standards. Yeah. So we didn't say, yeah, you can take your dinner upstairs and you can be on your phone all the time. It's like, no, this is how things work here. Um, we remained as adults. We remained really loving for her. And we just, you know, it, it's, it worked. We were, I feel very fortunate. Yeah. It worked out really great for us in there too. So that situation for mum, maybe had I not had that and the same scenario came around, I don't know that I would have had the strength to be able to to do that. To to be able to just, that yeah, totally. You know, because it's easy in times, I think it's fascinating. I first got introduced to this stuff by some transactional analysis um, work that when you're arguing with somebody, basically what you're doing is you're arguing to see who's the biggest victim. Right. So it's like, well, you did this to me. No, you did this to me. No, well, you don't know what it's like for me. And really what it is, if you take a step back, it's it's like, no, no, I'm a way bigger victim than you. you. Go, No way, man. You should see how bad things are for me. You did this to me. I'm a bigger victim than you. And then I realized I never want to, I don't want to be arguing for that. I don't want like, to fight over being the biggest victim. Yes. Like that's like once I had that realization about it, and I definitely don't want to do it with my children. Like that doesn't make sense. And so holding that space, being able to hold that space has been a blessing um, uh, for me. So, you, do you know, those. Like that was because it does sound like the circle oh, yeah. was closed or it sounds healing. Do you feel like it was healing for you to experience that with your, with, with your daughter? Totally. You know, and Mackenzie and I have talked lots about it. And there are times too that she's wanted to come and apologize. I'm like, baby, this. Yeah, there's no apology. Like, yeah. it's tough. Like, being a teenager is tough. Like, being, trying to work stuff out. Being a teenager is tough. Being divorced is tough. Being a parent is tough. Being a parent yeah. who is trying to hold on to their children, you know, yeah. as some yeah, yeah. security and love and all of the, all of that is hard. Now, combine in there the yeah. trauma of divorce and your mm. child telling you that they never want to see you or they want to move away, yeah. any version yeah. of that is hard. It's, um, it's a constant reminder for me about where I'm trying to get my needs met. Yeah. Like I don't, and, and it, you know, I see this in young chiropractors that they try to get their needs met through their patients. Mm. Um, and it's very dangerous and yes. it's very, you know, to, there's nothing more unattractive than neediness. Yeah. Um, and it shows up in lots of different ways there too but you know my needs and value as a human being um i don't want to get through my children I, in fact i don't want it to be externally generated at all yeah um, you, you know it it needs to come from within the moment that it's you know based on even the love of lauren then it's like ah oh, this you know it doesn't say that i don't want that as well but for me to think that i'm a good person because she tells me that i am or because she loves me and holds me is not where i want to be and so there've been just these constant lessons along the way that I want to show that for the kids as 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 well. So yeah, yeah they've they've been fascinating experiences to go through, and they're evidence for me when I look forwards and there are difficult things in front of me. They're evidence for me to look back and go, I can do difficult things and get through them. Yeah, and so they're lovely from that point of view also. Uh, yeah, I love that, and. And I, I want to share with you that this conversation from where I where I sit is very yeah. valuable also for me because, you know, 
divorce. And so this is, yeah, this is an interesting time, an interesting time to hear that story. And that's very valuable. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, thank you, Donna. Yeah, thank, thank you. And so I think the next question I wanted to ask you is like about your secret sauce. But I think part of your secret sauce, or at least an ingredient in there, is just the fact that you have this knowing inside of you. I could do difficult things. I got to, yeah. you know, put on my uh, big boy pants on and get through this and I can do it. What are some other ingredients to your secret sauce? Because you've, you've created massive influence. You've gone through some tough times. You've come out of it um, as this great human being. So what, is, what are some other ingredients in this? Um, so now I'm 19 years old and I meet a guy and he gives me a Zig Ziglar type. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm listening. So I'd never had anything to do with any kind of motivationally kind of positive mental mindset, anything like that too. And when I started listening to this, it was like, ah, oh, it was, but there was something that Zig said that um, has been a mantra of mine going forwards. And it is that you can get everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. Mm-hmm. That's my secret source. Like, that's it. Um, that is that and um, if I have a skill set, or one of the skill sets that I have is um, is to develop. I, I've de- really developed a great sense of compassion. Mm. That really helps me to connect with people very quickly. Um, yeah. I have a, you know, and um, and I think you know, you and I from we've had some messages go back and forwards, but the, the three conversations we've had have been really fucking real very quickly. There too, and you provide a space for that, obviously, which is nice that when appropriate there too. And so that's what's allowed me to build a really lovely chiropractic practice, but also into the work that I'm doing now. You know, if I think about, you know, I can get everything I want if I just help enough other people get what they want. Like what, what do people want? You know, at the moment, the game I'm playing, and it's just another series of games, is that we're often overwhelmed with this whole kind of marketing thing. I mean, I can simplify that for you. I can take something that's complex and simplify it for you and I can speed the journey up and you'll pay me for that. Like that's how it works. That's the game of of entrepreneurship is, you know, simplifying, taking something from the complex, bringing order to it, solving Mm -hmm. problems, adding value. So um, I, I think it's probably those two, you know, that's my, in terms of looking forwards there too. And then, you know, the ability to, of compassion is to see what somebody else is seeing is to feel what they're feeling and therefore that helps me kind of better solve that problem also so there are a couple of things that come to mind yeah and I think I would add to that because like you said a couple of conversations that we've had on the different podcasts like they're they're we just got right into it so I'll tell you another strength that you have is is vulnerability which, which I think as you are able to tap into that, then you not only have compassion, which you already mentioned, but also you understand, you come from a place of understanding people instead of a place of, I want to be understood. Mm. And I think that's a real big superpower. Majority of people, and I, and I don't mean to stereotype, <laughs> which usually when you say that you're about to stereotype, but I yes. don't really stereotype. However, I think that's a difficult place for men to 
to come from, a place of vulnerability. And they see it as a weakness, but I do think it's one of the biggest strengths that a, a, a masculine man can actually have. It's, it's different than being needy. It is different than being uh, like looking for approval. It's yes. just vulnerability and having the ability to share at a deep level um, yes. without, without any attachment to anything. I, I think you bring an interesting point up there too. I'm very happy to be vulnerable and I'm not doing it because I want you to like me. I'm not doing it because I want to get my needs met. Like I watch people, I watch online and I'm a, uh, when I see people that are often crying on their social media and there's a difference when you're doing it to show vulnerability and I'm doing this to show you that I will go first. And then I see the other accounts that I follow. I'm like, you're doing this because you get a lot of attention from it too. And that's, there's something icky. I find something icky about Uh that too, but when it's not, when there's not a neediness with vulnerability, it's incredibly powerful. It's, an example for me of I'll go first. Like yeah. I let, and I've always go. It's also another thing too, as I'm thinking about another secret sources there too. I'm always very quick. You've said lots of lovely things about me. Thank you. And I'm not perfect by a long way. Like I muck up all the time, you know, and sometimes when I was saying before that I behave like a 14-year-old. Sometimes it's a fun 14-year-old, but sometimes too, it's a pain in the ass 14-year-old. Like, you know, sometimes I'm trying to get Lauren's attention and I will kind of go up and push her or, you know, I'll I'll do things like, you know, like a 14-year-old boy instead of trying to connect with her and I get confused about things and I've had difficult times in my life. And I want to do that because you mentioned this before the podcast, is that we can, and I don't, I'm sure it happens in other professions too, but we stand on a stage in chiropractic and we talk about our successes and what success comes from there too. And in in the audience, when I would listen to that, I think, man, my life is so fucked. Like, this is so great. Mine is so fucked. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I had the chance to start to stand on the stage with these people. I went, you know what, you motherfuckers, your life is as difficult as mine. Right. But you never tell us that. Right. And it doesn't, it it disconnects me from you rather than connecting you from me. And so it, it's, there is that difficulty that we, when, one, when we put ourselves up on a pedestal and two, when we put other people up on a pedestal as well, I know that everybody has their challenges. I mean, I have mine, like, you know, you heard my story of the divorce before. And if you had Linda on here and talked to her about it, she would have her story in about there also. So, um, so the vulnerability and all that comes a lot from me wanting to, you know, connect with people to say, hey, man, it's difficult at times. Like yeah. it really is. And sometimes we behave poorly. Sometimes I behave poorly there too. Um, so I think, it, you know, it, it, it comes from that also. Yeah, and I think that's that's exactly the, the, the hole or the gap that I'm trying to fill in our profession because... Yes. We do. I mean, I get on the stage. I am on Instagram. I, you know, I do put on a show and I do Mm. give success principles. I have a whole club around that. However, what is real about me is the divorce I'm going through. What is real about me is the conversation I'm having here with you and the value I get from this conversation or this connection. What is real about me are actually the challenges I go through in daily life. So 
to have someone like you on this podcast is really valuable for a lot of people to see, okay, well, he does all these great things, but he's also human. And so it makes, it makes you accessible. It makes me accessible. And it also makes it accessible. The success that you have had, it makes that accessible to somebody who's watching or listening. So I really value that. And that's the whole point of this podcast. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate you saying that. I, um, I'm, I want to end with some really kind of quick questions. Okay. Go. Um, did you have a nickname when you were a child? And if so, what was it? Yes. Gus. Gus. Was that, was that, is that your middle name? No. And Gus. And I got shortened to Gus just from Angus. Yes. Yeah. And my mum hated it. So if any of my friends ever called me Gus around her, she would correct them. Um, But I was Gus and sometimes Gusty um, most of the way through high school. So, yeah. That's cute. Um, What kind of student were you um, when you were in college? Were you like an A student, a B student? Um, For the first half, well, so it's five years of chiropractic here. For the first two years, I was, what is the minimum amount I can do to get through? Um, And then I went um, and then I fell in love with study and I learned how to do it. And from that moment on, um, I was very fortunate to get very good grades, but not for the first two years. It was, uh, it was about, um, you know, uh, passing for the first couple of years. Yeah. Gotcha. And um, what was your very first job? Oh, my very first job was working in a shoe store selling shoes. And I met Frank DeLorenzo there and I loved it. Yes, gorgeous name, Frank. Frank was, when I say I wasn't really introduced to anything, the power of the mind, you talk about another pivotal moment there too. The shop had closed up at the end of the night and along the benches where people would sit to have their shoes tried on, Frank said, do you think you could do a standing jump over that? I went, no way. He goes, I bet you could. He said, stand in front of it, close your eyes, think about you actually doing it, like imagine you're doing it, imagine you're doing it. And then he said, open your eyes, do it. And I did it. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Way to go, Frank. So, um, yeah, so that was that. And, you know, I I spent a lot of my uh, university working then at a sports store selling shoes as well. I've got a shoe fetish. Um, I like shoes. You have a lot of shoes? Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, how yeah, many yeah. do you think? Uh, well, you know, I guess it depends. What's a lot? Um, I don't know. Like fi- there is a scene. No, in- not quite 50, but I would have 35, 40 pairs. Which is a lot for a man. It's, it's Again, not to stereotype. But- no, it is. Yeah, it is. It's too many. So I can't possibly wear them all at once. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I like shoes. So, um, yeah. Okay, very cool. And um, what kind of car do you drive? At the moment, I have an Audi SQ5. Okay. And is it what yeah. color is it? Um, it's uh, the actual color of it is called Midnight Blue. It's oh. the first non-black car I've had in 25 years. I've had 25 years of black cars. Really? And this one, I went, you know what? It's a beautiful, like a bluey, purpley, like a dark bluey, purpley color. Yeah, I love it. Love that. Okay. I've always gone with white or black. I don't think I've had any other color. So yeah. that sounds lovely. Okay. All yes. right. Well, one uh, last question. Who, if you were to pick one person, who would you say has had the biggest influence in your life? Um, the biggest influence in my life. 
I, I mean, it's hard to go past kind of a family members. Which is um, fine. It could be a family member. Yeah. Look, I think probably my dad. Yeah. Um, I, I would I would think so inside of there too. Yeah. Um, I, I did. <clears throat> there's another person that pops to mind that really helped me with some things there too. And um, Russ Rosen, who was a chiropractic coach, who I started doing some coaching with, you know, 10 years into practice, and he became a dear, dear friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Russ helped me navigate through the divorce. Mm-hmm. Russ helped me clean up and align some thinking there that gives me the freedom that I have now. Mm-hmm. So Russ would be, it would be, is one of the other people that really comes to mind okay. um, as well. So, um, yeah. Awesome. And so um, tell everybody what is exciting, like what exciting projects are you working on? What are some things I know you have the podcast, you might have courses coming up or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Tell us all about that and then tell everybody where they can find you. And of course, we will put all the links in the show notes as well. So make sure to mm-hmm. connect with Angus. Well, I am into my first beta test of a course that I've put together called Social Media for CAs. I think, and um, the results so far are nothing short of stunning. So having worked with chiropractors to manage their marketing, um, they either get overwhelmed or too busy to do it Mm -hmm. or they don't want to do it. And when they outsource it, it's very interesting because most of the time they outsource it, they abdicate it. And somebody, the branding of our practices, it's really personal branding. And I can't be putting out the same content as 150 other chiropractic practices. I understand there's those companies that do that kind of stuff there too. But social media is about building relationships. I need to see Nona, like Nona needs to be there. And so we've had, excuse me, I've had my CAs trained to do this for years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went, you know what, I'm going to put this together in a way of uh, of helping other chiropractors do that. And so I've got a beta test group going through at the moment. There are 25 practices I'm working with. Um, The results already are remarkable. The CAs are loving it. The chiropractors are just thrilled with what's going on there too. So that's, um, you know, there is a waiting list for the next class. If you just head to Mm angusspike.com, there'll be a link somewhere in one of the menus. You find it there. I'll I'll have it up by some stage. uh, so th- I'm really thrilled about what the problem that that can solve. If, you know, it takes our CAE less than two hours a week, we have our own in-house social media rock star. Um, and I think about what that can add to chiropractic practices around the world. If they just, you know, had somebody in-house doing all the stuff, if they understood the platforms, how to create content, mm-hmm. how to edit your videos for you, I train them how to come up for content. Like you start for content ideas, they know. Like if you imagine that <clears throat> if your CAs came to you and said, uh, no, no, what do you want to talk about for this next um, 90 days? You went pregnancy and they went, okay, they came back and they had, you know, 30 different video ideas for you. They could script intros and call to actions. You then filmed the video. They then edited it, posted it for you, emailed it out to your audience, uploaded it to like your website. That sounds like a dream, Angus. Yes. Sounds yes. like a dream. I am onto this like a freaking madman. This oh, is what I my course this. teaches people to do. So I just need to make sure that it does the same that it does for mine. And so far it has, and I'll continue to tweak. And I, I, I this is, I'm so damn excited about this. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, because it is a solution that many people have been looking for, bridges a gap 
um, that a lot of chiropractors are wanting. So if you want to know more about that, just head on over to angusspike.com and you'll find something about it there. I love that. I think there's a big gap in our profession around that and people are doing it wrong or they're not doing it at all, or they have different reasons why it's not working for them. But I think going the CA route is really, really big. And I, I, I will connect with you outside of here to see how we can bring that into, into my chiropractors inside a part-time million dollar mastermind also. But thank you so, so much for giving me your time today and being on the secret lives of chiropractors. And um, yeah, thank you everybody for watching and listening this episode with Angus Pike. Be sure to connect with him, click on his website, go connect with him on Instagram. He releases a ton of valuable um, content everywhere, anywhere you can find him. And uh, we'll see you guys on the, or, you know, you'll be listening to us on the next episode. Thanks, Nona. I hope you enjoyed this episode and got some applicable nuggets to quantum leap your life and your practice. Be sure to subscribe to this channel and be the first to know when we release our next guest here on Secret Lives of Chiropractors. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Nona Javid, D-J-A-V-I-D, to keep up with my not-so-secret life. And um, check out Elevate Club at www.elevate.me, and Elevate is spelled E-L-I-V-A-T-E. We'll see you at the next episode.